This is an attempt to make some lemonade out of the lemons that was my week last week. I'm going to call lemon week on uh, last week. So um, what you don't know is that my dad is a cancer survivor. In 2018, he was diagnosed with, um, well, ultimately diagnosed with chronic myelomonocytic leukemia or CMML. And that bought him about five months of outpatient chemotherapy, followed by a month-long inpatient stay in which they um, wiped out his entire uh, immune system. And he received a stem cell transplant, was fortunate enough to be able to have a perfect match donor, um, one of his siblings, and um, has has been, um, I think the correct term is in remission um, ever since. And um, so it's now, as I'm recording this, July of 2020. It's been two years since that happened, since that transplant. Um, But cancer sucks, and it is the gift that keeps on giving. So we learned in um, February of 2019 that pulmonary embolisms are very common among cancer survivors, which was pretty shocking to me. I felt like I should have learned that somewhere else along the line. Um, But we learned this the hard way. My dad had a pulmonary embolism. And so at that time, um, he was very short of breath, and my mom took him to the emergency department where they were able to send him for imaging and determine that he had clots in his lungs. Um, So while they were in the emergency department for several hours, um, they were able to be in in a room in the emergency department. I was able to bring them some food. Um, After several hours, they were both kind of hungry. So I brought them um, Panera, and uh, they, they had gotten started on administering heparin, which is a quote-unquote blood-thinning medication to, uh, to start breaking up the clot. And then after a few more hours, my dad was admitted to um, the James, to a, to, a, to a room, a regular patient room, private room, where he stayed for about a day and a half, and they made sure everything was good, and then they sent him home. So with that, um, we learned a lot about um, emergency care for cancer patients and um, patients who are in remission but still considered to be a cancer patient. And just um, a really fast learning curve on um, what that looks like in an emergency setting, basically. So I knew what a pulmonary embolism was. I'm I'm a dietitian by training, so I knew what that was. My mom is a nurse by training, so between the two of us, we, we knew what we were getting into um, with my dad's care. It all just happened rather suddenly. So, fast forward to present day, uh, last week, in fact. Um, my dad had been experiencing some shortness of breath, and um, they, my parents called his care team, and his care team said, yep, we'd like to get you scheduled for um, a CAT scan. So my dad was NPO, nothing by mouth, because he had to go in for this CAT scan. And the CAT scan uh, was at an ancillary care center, so not the main hospital, but you know one of the other locations, outpatient locations. And the CAT scan found multiple clots in his lungs. So here we are again with, uh, with the pulmonary embolism from the looks of it. So my dad, now keep in mind the context here, a little bit different from February 2019. Um, it's now July of 2020. Um, my mom did not go with him to this appointment because she would not be allowed inside the um, building. 
um, due to the restrictions around COVID. And my dad had been feeling fine at that point, so he drove himself. So when the imaging came back with clots on his lungs, they said, nope, sorry, you can't drive yourself to the emergency department and you can't wait for your wife to come get you. We're going to put you in an ambulance and take you to the main hospital for the emergency department. So um, fast forward this story a little bit and try and spare you all the gory details. My dad ended up sitting in a hallway in the emergency department for six and a half hours. Um, sitting in a wheelchair because that's how he was wheeled in from the ambulance. Um, no one checked on him. No one followed up with him. And um, he he didn't have anything to eat or drink. So he, he had been NPO for, gosh, let's see. By the time they got to him, he would not have, well, shoot, he was NPO longer than that. Um, but he, he had gotten up at 6.30 that morning, and at 8.30 p.m., that's when someone got to him. So, a slightly different experience. Um, my mom and I couldn't go to the emergency department. There is no visitors and no companions allowed. So, um, one of the top recommendations that you've come across in this class about health literacy is it's important to have an advocate, have someone go with you, someone who can ask questions and write things down and really help do the thinking when you're overwhelmed by the fact that you're having a health scare. And we couldn't do that. And that was pretty darn stressful for, I think, both me. Well, I know for both me and my mom. So we couldn't go and advocate for him. Um, all we could really do was text him and um, call him, except that my dad hadn't planned on spending the day in the emergency department. So he didn't have a cell phone charger. So as the hours ticked by and we waited for news, he was losing uh, power on his cell phone. So we got to a point where I just, I learned, you can call the emergency department. There's a phone number for that. Um, and uh, basically beg to be connected to your patient of choice. And uh, they were wonderful. They were, they were very quick about locating my dad and who had, you know, at that point, who, whose care he was under. Um, was able to get through to the nurse who, I will, I, I will mention, had to go check with my dad and make sure it was okay for her to give me an update on my dad's care. And I could hear him in the background giving his verbal consent. Um, so at that point, we discovered we could at least take a bag down to the hospital, take it to the front desk of the emergency department, and ask that they give it to my dad. So we were able to um, take a phone charger and a change of clothes and some snacks and um, take that to the front desk of the emergency department. And um, that got to my dad. And that was really important because um, we needed that line of communication. We needed to be able to talk to my dad via the cell phone. And um, it turns out that, you know, the social workers were wonderful once they got to him. Um, they were trying to find a cell phone charger for him and offered to put the phone in a lockbox where it could be charged and all this jazz. So, you know, clearly the people working in the emergency department are doing the best they can with what they've got under extremely extraordinary circumstances. Um, and once my dad got um, into someone's care, it was a little bit better. It was, it was pretty darn frustrating though, right? Because typically when you go into the emergency department, you don't know what's wrong. Well, my dad arrived with an imaging study showing this is what's wrong and still had to wait six and a half hours to get any kind of care, to have someone see him and say, yes, you need a heparin drip and an IV. 
Um, so, you know, and I don't know the full story. I wasn't there. I couldn't be there. My mom couldn't be there. Um, so maybe there's more to it. We'll never know. Um, but it's, it was, it was extremely taxing, um, for, for all of us involved. Um, and then as it turned out, um, so remember in February of 2019, when my dad had this exact same issue, he was admitted to a private room in the James where they were able to make sure that he was adjusting to the medications correctly. He understood what he needed to do when he went home, so on and so forth. Um, there was no bed in the hospital. There was nowhere he could go this time around. So July 2020, a year and a half later, during COVID, during you know quarantine and restrictions and masks and all this, um, my dad basically sat awake in the emergency department all night long waiting to be placed in. He was in a bed at this point, but he was in the emergency department like behind a curtain, right? So there's no sleeping <laughs> when there's that much activity and noise going around. Um, so he ended up sitting up all night long in the emergency department, um, hooked up to every kind of monitor there is because he was at this point under observation in the emergency department. He was getting treatment. He was getting his heparin drip. Um, but he was under observation. So he had, you know, a 12-lead EKG and a pulse oximeter and everything hooked up to him. Um, so he didn't sleep. And then it took time for the doctors to come in, which is all par for the course. Um, and again, I don't really know how this all went down because I wasn't there and my mom wasn't there. And my dad, by the time we picked my dad up from the emergency department, he was discharged straight from the emergency department, right? He never did get admitted to the hospital. I don't know which doctors he saw. I don't know what they said to him. I don't know any of that. Um, because by the time we picked up my dad, he'd been awake for 36 hours. Um, most of which he'd spent cold and hungry and thirsty just sitting waiting to be seen. Um, so he was pretty well shot at that point. So, you know, I went, I, I drove to, to pick up my dad. My mom and I went down and I drove. And uh, my mom's in the back seat, and I'm up, up there driving. Dad's in the front with me. And we're both, like, really anxious to know all the details. We want to know everything that happened. And my dad, bless him, he doesn't have a medical background. Um, he's a computer engineer, so he's no slouch, but he doesn't have a medical background. And he'd been awake for 36 hours. That's a really long time. And it wasn't just, like, awake. It was, like, a taxing awake for 36 hours. Um, so it was, it was pretty hard to get information out of him. Um, so what do we do next? We went to his discharge papers. Um, so basically anytime you're going to leave, um, the hospital or a care setting like that, you should be given an after visit summary, or it might be referred to as discharge papers. Um, and then of course, as we were looking at them, we, we just had more questions. So he is going to have follow-up with his care team. He's still seen by the hematology care team at the James he'll see them in another week um, and he should follow up with his primary care doctor so it's not like this was the only time he could be seen for this problem and he'll never be seen for it again this is this is an evolving thing it's a continuing thing and he'll see lots more people for it but if I flip through his after visit summary and try and piece together what happened um, it says the names of the physicians that he was seen by so that's something I could try and look them up and figure out what their specialties are I suppose um, but reason for lab visit, or reason for visit, it says critical lab values and shortness of breath. I understand what shortness of breath is. That's fine. Got that. Critical lab values. 
When did they run labs? I don't know when they ran labs. What were the labs? It does say lab tests completed, okay? So I've got B-type natriuretic peptide, um, CBC and electronic differential, CBC EDIF platelet, CBC platelets, CHEM7 lights, BUN creatinine glucose. I actually, those are abbreviations, but I can, I can spell those out for you. So electrolytes, blood urea, nitrogen, creatinine glucose. Chem 7 mint green top tube. I don't know that one. I don't know what is done in a mint green top tube. Novel coronavirus PCR. Okay, that's important. They tested him to see if he had the had COVID. He did not. Spoilers. Um, pro time INR. Okay, so that's his his clotting time. Um, PTT performed four times. I don't know that one off the top of my head. Troponin, so troponin, that's when you would test for um, possible heart issues or other tissue damage. Um, so anyway, those are the lab tests listed. I know what a lot of those lab tests are because I teach a class on understanding assessment, but they didn't provide any of his values. It just says those are the tests that were run. So I'm high enough health literacy, I, I know what they're looking for with these tests, but they didn't give me the results. I don't know what the, what the what did you find? I don't know what they found. Um, they did lab tests, it says lab tests in progress, imaging tests, and then here we have done today, DVT-VTE risk assessment. You know what that is? Okay, so DVT. DVT, I know that one. That's deep vein thrombosis. So that would be like if you had a clot in your leg, or in this case, the lung, and you threw it and it went somewhere else in the body. That would be very bad. Um, VTE, I think that's venous thrombolytic embolism. Um, but if you didn't know those abbreviations, DVT and VTE, or for that matter, if they'd spelled out deep vein thrombosis or venous thrombolytic embolism, would you know what that meant? <laughs> My poor dad, when we picked him up, he said, I don't know. They said I had a bunch of clots. Or was it a cluster of clots? I don't know. I thought they meant more than one clot. That was as specific as he could get. And ultimately, it doesn't matter whether it was one clot or multiple clots. He's going to get the heparin. The heparin will go throughout his whole body, and it will take care of all of the clots. Um, but I just wanted to read through this and point out that his after-visit summary, the information that he was given walking out the door, um, it doesn't really help us. I mean, it kind of, we, my mom and I can piece it together, right, between our medical background and information here. Like, okay, they were testing to see if he was having a heart attack or other trouble. Um, they determined it was probably a DVT or VTE, so with the DVT-VTE risk assessment. Um, but they're, they're checking all these different things. So, all right. I mean, he went in with shortness of breath. That all makes sense. And then it goes through recommendations um, for at-home care. So there's some stuff here. You know, falls prevention, sure. We don't want to fall. If dad falls and gets a bruise at this point, he could bleed, have a, have a heavy bleed. That's, that's problematic. There's information here, though, about infection control and low platelet count. Those are super important when you're undergoing active treatment for um, leukemia, but I, I don't know that that's still relevant for my dad two years after his transplant, but maybe it is. I don't know. Or maybe they put that on here because COVID is everywhere. I, I don't know what the context is. 
So, and then they have um, a note here about oral hygiene. My mom pointed out, yes, if you're put on blood thinners, you should be careful not to brush your teeth too hard because you'll make your gums bleed. I didn't think of that. Um, but there's nothing here that says that. It just says brush your teeth as usual. So, okay. So, health literacy. Here's my question for you guys. What should we, as the family members, have done differently? Right? So I, I've, I've learned from this, for example, I learned you can just call the emergency department, right? And if, you're, if your patient, if your family member is being seen, then you can probably talk to the nurse and the nurse knows what's going on. That was the most reassuring moment of this whole ordeal was actually getting to talk to a real person who had seen my dad, was actively looking at my dad and knew what was going on. So I can, do, I can do that at least. I didn't realize I could do that. I was just trying to get all my information from my dad through the phone. Um, but then after that, we didn't talk to anyone else on his care team ever. So I don't know which, well, I know the names of the doctors, but I don't know what they said. I don't know what their specialties are. I don't know what their recommendations were. Um, I, I just don't know, right? So it's, it's pretty frustrating. It occurred to me after the fact that I suppose we could have had my dad put the doctor on speakerphone and do our own little care conference, right? We could listen on the other side. All of this is made really weird by COVID. So um, that's another example in a long and storied history, basically, of my dad's cancer treatment teaching me how little I know about um, hematology and how little I know about cancer care and health and um, how, how navigating the system that we have is still just unbelievably maddening, um, even for someone who has a background in healthcare. And for crying out loud, I work at Ohio State, right? Like, it was no issue of where do we go or where do we park. I know all that. That's easy, right? Uh, I do it all the Well, I used to do it all the time anyway. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really stressful week and that is why no content showed up last week for your class. I apologize. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't guess I'll, I'll come up with a better assignment to go with this, but, uh, that was, that was my learning experience last week. So thanks for taking the time to listen and I hope there's something valuable in it for you. Heaven help me. I hope you don't need this information, but if you know someone who's in the emergency department, there's a good chance you can take a bag to the front desk, wear your mask, you, you can take a bag to the front desk and say, these are patient belongings for, and they will take it to them. Um, because man, that cell phone charger was really, really important. Cell phone charger saved the day. All right. Thanks for listening.